Welcome to That's Darn Good. I'm Janelle Ball, and I'm excited to bring you thought-provoking conversations about biologics, specialty medications, treatments, and so much more. I'll be chatting with some amazing guests about access, affordability, and advocacy. You're really going to enjoy this show. This episode is sponsored by BC Educators. BC Educators offers in-office training and virtual bio coordinators to create a single point of contact for everything from prior authorizations to prescription acquisition and patient follow-up. To ensure your patients have the access to the medications they need, hire the right team to simplify your dermatology office processes. Visit bceducators.com. That's B-C-E-D-U-C-A-T-O-R-S.com. Patient access is our priority. Welcome to That's Derm Good. Thank you so much for inviting me on. It's good to be here. How did you find me? YouTube. (laughs) So I am so excited to talk to you. I want to hear all about your journey of being a dermatologist. And so you're dual trained in skin cancer and hair loss. Yes. So let me start off by telling you why I chose dermatology. My great grandfather, his name was Harry, and I'm actually named after him. He had something called cutaneous T cell lymphoma. And at the time, which was a long time ago, he, you know, they didn't really know much about this disease. And he was presented at Grand Rounds and they tried to really understand the condition he had. And I found it really intriguing. And From then on, I always had this inclination that I wanted to pursue dermatology. And I am a very visually oriented person. You know, I could see someone one time and kind of just remember their face and also their name. And my memory is pretty strong. So between namesake and my great-grandfather's skin cancer history and my visual oriented memory that kind of drove me to dermatology. And as you know, dermatology is you see a condition on the skin and it's really a kind of an indication that something is going on inside. So it's like a a microscope into systemic disease. So I found that fascinating. And I love being able to combine my medical knowledge with surgical skills and also, um, you know, look under the microscope and look at the pathology. So I just love that synergistic effect of dermatology. Yeah, that's a good quality to have. I'm sure a lot of people would love to have a good memory to remember Mm. names and faces. And (laughs) so you got into the oncology side. And then what about the hair loss? So I did a cutaneous oncology clinical fellowship at Boston University, and I was responsible for managing the multidisciplinary team of oncologists, dermatologists, and surgeons. And we would deal with patients with very rare conditions. So they may have had a metastatic melanoma that went to their brain, or we would like Kaposi sarcoma. So we saw an array of cancers. And I was the one that would kind of orient the clinic and make it flow because there was a lot of people to be seen and there was a long wait list to come into this clinic and we would try novel therapies that aren't really used elsewhere or use clinical trials 
to treat these patients. And I actually remember we had a patient with melanoma in her brain and we used something called CyberKnife therapy, which was a combination of two immunotherapies. And we were able to actually shrink this tumor in her brain. Or another example is a patient who had melanoma that was metastasizing up her leg and we injected something called TVEC virus. And the virus is supposed to eradicate the melanoma. So we did really interesting, exciting therapies during this year of cutaneous oncology. And I also presented to tumor board meetings about you know, interesting cases that we have seen in the last two weeks. And it was exciting because you got to collaborate with a team and really see other people's opinions on how do you treat this? Because we obviously want the patient to have the best quality of life they can have. So while I was at my cutaneous oncology fellowship, they needed an extra hand. Everyone always needs an extra hand. And they had asked me if I would be interested and willing to help out in the the hair loss clinic. And I said, of course, you know, I really didn't have much experience at the time in hair loss, but I was intrigued by it. And I said, let's try it. So I worked in their hair loss clinic and I just fell in love with it. I felt this like emotional connection. You know, I never appreciated how emotional hair loss can be. People think it's like very much a cosmetic thing, but it's really much more than that. Because when you look at someone, one of the first things you see is their hair. And it's very noticeable to know if their hair, if they're starting to lose their hair. So a lot of it was combining, you know, counseling and therapy to these patients while also trying to treat their hair loss condition. So I learned all I could about hair. I started publishing about hair loss, different conditions, one called frontal fibrosing alopecia in particular, which is when you get a band of hair loss across your frontal scalp. And it used to be thought that you would only see this in postmenopausal women, but we started, we had a patient come in who was like 29. So obviously she was still before menopause and she started having this type of hair loss. So I just became so intrigued by hair loss and I did a hair loss fellowship at Columbia University, where we did different clinical trials to treat hair loss. So now that kind of brought me to where I am today, which is my focus in the future would be on treating hair loss. Wow. And I feel like that has become just a lot of talk around alopecia and hair loss now. I think, you know, from the infamous Will Smith slap, on, <laughs> you know, but it really got mm-hmm. people talking. And now there's, you know, drugs coming out for alopecia areata. And what are your thoughts on all the developments with that and the awareness around it? Um, I think that it still is a very much of a condition where it lowers their self-esteem and their self-confidence. But I think it's starting to be spoken about more widely and you see celebrities with it. So it's starting to become more accepted and We're trying to get rid of that stigma. And I also think that there are some incredible drugs coming out that are remarkable improvements in patients with alopecia areata or even alopecia totalis or alopecia universalis, which is when you lose hair even on your legs or your arms. Mm -hmm. So I do think that eventually I hope that we will be able to really manage this condition. I don't know that there will ever be a cure for it. Mm -hmm. But 
I do think that we have such incredible drugs coming out. One is called Litfilo, which has just came out. And I've already seen patients go on it and they're starting to see improvement. So it's very exciting. It's a very exciting time. Yeah, it really is. You know, so I have my cosmetology license. So, you know, when I went to hair school, we learned, you know, about all the different hair conditions and we learned a little bit about alopecia and, you know, I never really saw a lot of that while I was a hairdresser and there was not really a lot of talk behind it. So now that I'm seeing all this and I'm like excited to learn more about it and to, you know, to hear what is available or even just recognizing you know, somebody that has alopecia totalis or any of these other conditions, it's recognizing that and knowing, okay, there is help, there's support, you, you can get help now, you don't have to suffer and be self-conscious because, you know, everybody is, everybody's going to be self-conscious about their hair and how, you know, they look. And, you know, this is the same with skin, with dermatology. And I'm sure that's probably one of the reasons, you know, why you enjoy dermatology is something that you can see, but it's something that's going on in internally that's presenting on the skin. So, you know, that's, it's really exciting to hear about that, but yeah. I just wanted to add that, you know, we're raising more awareness for this condition and I found it interesting. Recently, we had a patient come in who, you know, is completely bald from alopecia. And we said, you know, there's a new drug on the market. Would you like to try it? And she said, it would be exciting for me to try, but I've tried things in the past. My hair came back and then it all fell out again. And she said, I don't know if I could emotionally deal with that again, where I would get all my hair back. I would feel like a new person and then something might happen and it might fall out again. So it does take a little bit of like counseling and time to really talk through these different conditions with a patient because everyone's circumstance is different. How do you talk them through that? How do you counsel them when something like that happens? Um, with her, I said, I understand and know that you put yourself in their shoes and mm -hmm. it would feel terrible to lose all your hair. It's disheartening. Mm -hmm. So you kind of just say, you know, if you decide to come and try it, we're here for you. You can come anytime and you can give it a go, but there's no pressure. And we showed her like some of the results we were having to show her what we've been seeing and talk through the side effects of the drugs. But maybe over time, a patient like her will come back and say, I want to try it. But I think part of the condition is that people start to embrace their life as having no hair and they just, you know, embrace going about that life. So it's hard to kind of transition back to trying to have hair again and their identity may feel different. So it, it's a process that takes time. Yeah. Do you think it could have been maybe from a non-compliance type thing where they stopped the medication and re restarted or just? No. I can't remember what drug this particular patient was using, but sometimes the autoimmune condition can flare or mm. the drug may just stop working as well. So it's usually these patients are typically very compliant because they're desperate to get their hair back. Right. Okay. I just didn't know if because you're seeing your hair growing back now, then you feel like, oh, do I need to stop taking it because I'm everything's good. <laughs> I right. would like I see that in some other, you know, the other biologics that I work with too. And, you know, where they think that their skin is clear, especially for like psoriasis or something. And they're like, well, I was clear. So I stopped, you know, I skipped some doses and then it's, you know, that efficacy, you know, they think that it's not as good or it doesn't work because they're, they're not clear anymore or they're flaring. 
it's funny when you say that because I once had this patient when I was in medical school. I was asking her her medical history and I said, oh, I see you have diabetes. She says, no, I don't have diabetes anymore. I'm like, well, you're on metformin, a diabetes medication. Oh yeah, but I don't have it anymore. So it's like, like, she's like, yeah, I still take the drug. So they think because like their levels may be better or they're taking medication to treat it, that their condition is no longer there. And just like you said, with psoriasis, it's like they think they got clear. You know, a lot of these conditions are chronic conditions. So they don't really appreciate or understand that this is kind of lives with them forever. Yeah, you know, like psoriasis can wax and wane. A child may not have it. And then as an adult, it might come about or vice versa, or Mm -hmm. you can outgrow it. But it is still considered a chronic condition. And I kind of chuckle when people think, oh, I don't have that condition. They still do, but maybe it's just at bay right now and it's calm and they don't see any active lesions, like you said, from your profession working with biologics. Yeah, I feel like there's probably an inkling of hope that, you know, because I'm maybe changing my eating habits or I'm changing, you know, a lot of other things in my life. And now that this medication has helped clear my skin, then it's just going away. I'm sure that happens very often. Yeah, Um, it does. So I'm so excited to hear about all of this. So you're going to be a resident in 2024. Yes. So I'm starting my residency July, 2024. I've already completed my intern year. So I'll be jumping right into dermatology. And I believe that with my level of expertise up until this point, I'll be flourishing and a lot of conditions and patients I'll be seeing when I start will already be very familiar to me. Yeah. So tell me about that journey going into residency. So it definitely was not a straight path. Dermatology is extremely competitive and, you know, it's not an easy road. But with that said, I knew that there was nothing else in the world I wanted to do than to be a dermatologist and to help patients. So I kind of set out, you know, I started back in medical school doing dermatology research. I ran the dermatology club at my medical school. And then I really didn't get much of a background in dermatology when I was in medical school. So I sought out several different rotations. I wanted to go and try to learn everything I could from different places. So I went all over the United States and wasn't a cheap venture. You know, you had to rent a car and get a hotel, but I did it. And I would drive 100 miles to a rotation site, and then they would kind of say, oh, we're not taking students this year. And I would be in the middle of Ohio and say, oh, what do I do now? So it wasn't easy, but I persevered and I didn't give up. And that is what I try to encourage other medical students who are interested in dermatology residency to do. So, you know, my path wasn't a straight shot. I As I mentioned earlier in this podcast, I did several rotations. I I did my intern year, and then I took two to three years to just do dermatology research and clinical fellowships to really get that background in dermatology and feel very competent. And as I did more rotations and as I got more experience in the dermatology world, my passion and my determination to become a dermatologist only grew. And I'm not going to say I didn't get discouraged because that would be lying. But you just have to remind yourself, don't give up. And if it's a dream, you can make it happen. So it's very exciting that finally I'll be starting on my path to my dream career. And 
and I feel grateful. And I work with medical students to this day, and I'll continue to work with them. I work with them on research papers. I give them guidance because I know that, you know, not too long ago, I was in their shoes and I want to help them get to the place where I am today. So I try to guide them through their application process and give them advice on what they could do and what works and what doesn't work. And it's been a road, but it's worth it. How long did that take for the rotations up until now? So I graduated medical school in 2018. I did my intern year right after medical school. So I finished my intern year in June of 2019. And then I moved to Boston and did my fellowship there um, from 2019 to 2020. Then I continued to do research with them. You know, I started to do teledermatology during COVID. I even had a job. I was supposed to work at Mass General doing skin cancer with organ transplant patients. And But then COVID hit and they weren't hiring anyone. You know, I fell off the path and then I would have to get back on. And then from 2021 to 2022, I did my research at Columbia University. And then I spent some time working as a medical assistant. Even though I had a medical license and I was a doctor, I was put myself as a medical assistant because I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes. And it worked out and it was probably about four to five years to get where I want to be. Wow. That's amazing to know that you've been doing so much training and studying and internships and rotations and all of that. And (laughs) what keeps popping in my mind is the frustrations that we deal with, with the insurance and how, you know, insurance companies like to dictate what medications they can and can't have. And so like my mind automatically goes to, you're doing all this training to diagnose patients and to Mm -hmm. treat them. And insurance wants to block that. It frustrates me to (laughs) no extent. So how long is the residency and where are you doing that? So my residency will be in Florida and it will be three years. Yeah, you're all over the U.S. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. You can't limit yourself. You kind of have to go wherever you can. If it's worth it to get to your destination. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll be moving to Florida next summer. Wow. Do you think you would stay in Florida? Um, I do have family in Florida, so it's possible Mm -hmm. that I'll stay there. I'm not quite sure yet. I know I want to focus on hair loss and learn how to do hair transplants. So we'll see if I'll do another fellowship after my residency, but I'm just going to take one day at a time and go from there. I don't know yet where I'll be practicing. So do you do any clinical trials and things like that then? At this present time, I'm not doing any clinical trials, but I have done clinical trials in the past. Those are pretty interesting just to see a lot of drugs that are coming to the market and that whole process. I would assume that that would be really exciting to see, especially in hair loss and even oncology as well. Yeah, it it is. And like so many new drugs are coming out. The innovation is really quite incredible. So I plan as a resident to get more involved in clinical trial work. So now, as I'm leading up to my dermatology residency, I've been spending this year continuing to write some research papers. actually just wrote a paper on JAK inhibitors, and I've been working on my podcast, which is very fun, and I get to speak to people from all backgrounds with different specialties, all dermatology-based, but within dermatology, they are 
experts in a particular subject or someone who's very well known for hair loss. So I've been really having a lot of fun with my podcast. And then in addition to that, I'm working on a teledermatology platform where I am the chief medical officer and it's called Derm on Demand. So people could check it out, dermondemand.co. And our goal is to offer accessible care to patients anywhere at any time. And basically the way it works is you take a picture of your skin concerns. For instance, say you had psoriasis and, you know, it was the first time you ever noticed it on your legs. So you take a picture, you send me three pictures, hopefully good quality photos, and you answer a very brief survey, just you know, talking about answering about your symptoms, some basic medical background, and how long you've noticed it for. You send that in, and within 24 hours, you will get a diagnosis and a treatment plan back. So for me, this is very exciting because during the pandemic, I was doing teledermatology when I was a skin cancer fellow. And I said, this is incredible because we're treating patients who couldn't come into the hospital because it was too dangerous. The clinic was was closed and they were still able to get care. And that kind of opened my eyes that there are a lot of people that need access to care that don't have the accommodations to go in person. And that was kind of my inspiration for starting Germ on Demand. And so I'm very excited about that. And I'm keeping busy until I start my residency. And it's been very exciting. That's awesome. I want to talk about the podcast, but also I'm so excited about this Germ on Demand skin checks will be really hard to to do you think or so skin checks are a little tricky during the pandemic we were doing like full body skin exams because we didn't know how long this pandemic was going to last and when they were going to be able to come in person so I remember being on video with this patient and he took me into the bathroom and he was like okay I got a mole back here and he was showing me in the mirror and it was just like a little bit too complicated and tricky. So in terms of full body skin exams, definitely probably best to see your dermatologist in person. But with that said, Derm on Demand, we're going to focus on chronic skin conditions, but we're not going to limit ourselves. We're going to treat patients with rashes, acute conditions, poison ivy, Lyme disease. So yes, we are going to be focused on treating psoriasis, eczema, and most importantly, acne, we're going to be prescribing Accutane. So these are, you know, conditions that require at least one year of adequate treatment to see some resolution of their disease. But, you know, we were in beta mode over the summer and we had all ages submit to us as young as a month old. The mother, she had two kids at home. So she submitted a picture of her child's rash to us and I was able to diagnose it and send medication for the baby. And we had patients all the way up to 80. Their daughter is sending in pictures if they don't use the computer. So it's a wide range. And even people have been submitting if they're concerned that maybe a spot is a skin cancer. And I can tell through pictures that it's a benign lesion and it's nothing to worry about. If I do think it's a skin cancer, then we have a network where we can triage the patients in person too. So, yeah. That's pretty exciting. That is very needed. I think we've all gotten used to, you know, 
ordering Uber Eats or, you know, having something sent over to us in Amazon and, and all of those things. So it makes sense to have dermatologists on demand and have that convenience as well. That's pretty exciting. So, and you've got a podcast as well, and that's called the Derm Club. Yes, that's the Derm Club. And that I started about a year and a half ago, where I interview specialists all over the country. I've spoken to the specialists on melanoma in Australia, and I've learned a lot from it. And part of why I do it is because I love educating others. You know, I, when I was in college, I tutored students. So I just think it's exciting to be able to educate the public. And it's a podcast that appeals to, I believe, a lot of other doctors, dermatologists, primary care physicians. But I also do get messages from people who may be suffering with that particular condition. And they say, thank you so much for sharing this because, you know, it gave me insight into my own condition. So the yeah. audience is pretty broad, but it's been a great way for me to learn about the condition and then share the knowledge and education with others. That's really exciting. Well, so this is my first time interviewing a fellow podcaster, but, and I'm new to the space too. But like you said, it's so exciting to be able to talk to people and to bring that awareness and help with the education. And, you know, I started a company called BC Educators and we help dermatology offices and medical staff because it's so important to understand how, number one, to document, especially for these specialty medications where insurance is creating so many many barriers and it's so important to get that information out there to to educate and to create the support and you know having that um the virtual biologic coordinators is what we do and having that support to where we can work remotely and make sure that patients are still able to get that access to the medication and as quickly as possible, because, you know, that's always a struggle. And I think you definitely made the most out of the pandemic coming up with, mm. with these things. And so you have a YouTube channel too, right? Yes. Uh -huh. That's separate. My YouTube channel is really to talk about different conditions, more appealing to the general consumer, but I would say my Derm Club podcast is more academic based and the other one is more general dermatology conditions that people want to learn more about. You know, there's a lot of misinformation on the internet. So I think it's helpful that a future board certified dermatologist is able to share real facts and real knowledge with the public and try to help them treat their condition from home or say, this is something that is not treatable at home and you need to come in to see a dermatologist. Yeah. So again, it's giving people education, knowledge, and access mm -hmm. who may not have it otherwise. Yeah. I love to hear that. So outside of work, what do you do? Cause it's, you're so busy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, I love spending time with my family. I have a grandmother who will be 97 in a couple months. And she's like my pride and joy, spend a lot of time with her. And I try to stay active. I am very into road biking. So I've been getting my miles in the summer. And, you know, I play a lot of tennis. I try to stay active and have that balance. I spend time with friends and just try to have a balanced life. Yeah, that's what it's all about. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you want to leave with our audience if they're dealing with skin cancer or something that they might be worried about, like what to look for when there's changes to their skin and, you know, when they just have questions? 
Can you just give us some tips and your thoughts on the importance of skin check and what to look for? So nobody knows their skin or their body better than themselves. And one thing I always advise is, you know, you can't really see your back. So I always tell patients, have someone take a picture of your back. And then every so often, every couple months, take a look at your skin, stand in front of the mirror and check it over. See if you notice anything different. And don't forget to look under your nails because there is a skin cancer called acromelanoma that can occur on your toenails, under your feet. Actually, Bob Marley died of this, which is when I tell people that they're like, okay, I'm going to definitely check my feet for now on. And just give yourself a good look over. If you notice anything that sticks out, which we call the ugly duckling sign, then definitely either take a picture of it and send it in to dermondemand.co or go see your local dermatologist because it might be something that is unusual or it might be benign, but better to be safe than sorry. And, you know, especially if if you notice a new spot that's itching, bleeding, burning, or growing at an extremely fast pace, then definitely don't delay and get seen. If you're worried about melanoma, you can look at the ABCDE, which is you look for asymmetry, you look at the borders to see if, if it's nice and even on all sides. You look at the color, if it's unusually very dark, then it might be concerning. You look at the size and to see, you know, if it's getting to be tremendous and then if it's evolving and growing at a fast pace. But there are other benign skin lesions that can act similar to melanoma that are normal. So very often at Dermon's Demand, we get pictures and I'm like, this is completely normal. This is considered an age spot. And there's nothing to worry about. But when in doubt, come in and get checked over. And again, no one knows your skin better than yourself. So I always tell people probably twice a year, take a look and have someone take another picture of your back and you can compare the pictures, check if anything new came about. And I definitely recommend a yearly skin check, especially for fair skinned individuals because they're more prone to skin cancer. And most important of all is wear your sunscreen, 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 sunscreen. It not only protects you against skin cancer, it will help you again prevent aging and fine lines, wrinkles. So who doesn't want to have anti-aging properties? And it also can prevent, you know, help manage other conditions like rosacea, melasma. So sunscreen is key. Yeah, sun protection, you know, wide brim hats. There's a lot of clothing out there with UPF protection in it now and you know, they're making clothing that's trendier, that has UPF. So people yeah. are more open to wearing um, these these clothes things because they're not as nerdy looking anymore. So sun protection is so important. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kobelman. I'm so excited to continue to listen to your podcast and mm-hmm. to follow your journey through your residency. And that's, it's so exciting and so good to talk to you. And knowing that you're working so hard, not only for your patients, but just to better your education and to help educate others as well. I think that it's so exciting to hear. It was so nice to meet you. You too. Have a good day. Take care. Bye. Thanks for spending a few minutes with me and listening to That's Derm Good. You can expect new episodes of That's Derm Good every other week. The podcast is available on your favorite app, including where you're listening right now. Subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a new episode. Bye.